Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and as usual, I'm here with my friend and colleague, Nitin Gower, and good evening to you, Nitin. Good morning to you, Derek. Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a great weekend this week. Start out with a bang, and we'll talk about that. But uh, yeah. some good stuff happened this week, which is great, I think. Look, I think this, the sort of, a, the, the fact that MakerDAO is showing itself as this sort of centralized bank may well be worth us having a bit of a conversation about. So MakerDAO's market cap surged to $1.2 billion this week. Over the past month, it's risen some 14, 15%, yeah, 14.8% in size, in valuation. And so maybe we'll just have a quick look at what that is. So MakerDAO is a decentralized global reserve bank that resides on the Ethereum blockchain. The Maker protocol leverages Ethereum smart contracts to automate the collateralization and lending of its stable called, called DAI, as well as to provide other functionalities like governance, for example. The tokenomics behind the protocol ensure that all three tokens, ETH, Maker, and DAI, keep each other in check, thus preserving the balance. In essence, MakerDAO has adapted a central bank model to the blockchain and opened up its governance to a network of token holders or maker holders. As a decentralized bank running on a blockchain, the protocol provides a stable cryptocurrency, aka a stable coin. So the market cap sits at about number 41 in the top in the top coins. Its price has risen, you know, at quite a reasonable amount of recent times to a new capitalization of 1.2 billion, possibly driven by last week's protocol community that favored a new what's called enhanced die savings rate, which may have temporarily increased the rate of return to die holders to earn as high as 8% per annum. The total locked up value in MakerDAO is some $5.1 billion. Now, one of the interesting things is that there's a lot of belief speculation that real world assets are going to become digitized, Nitin. Now we've talked about this often. And once you digitize real world assets, then you can start enabling decentralized finance to fund them, finance them and transact in them. And if you look at make a DAO as potentially sort of an online central bank, this could play a really major role in providing funding for what we consider to be real world assets, which could be everything from real estate to automotive to, to businesses. Maybe help us unravel a little bit how this confluence of this algorithm driven central bank and the real world assets might, might come together. Yeah, no, I think 
again, there's a lot of intersections here, Derek, where, and we jokingly do call MakerDAO is views as a central bank of the crypto industry. It's the mm-hmm. oldest bank in the crypto industry mm-hmm. and DAI is its currency. But let's go back to basic because there's a lot of Ooh. intersection. And I use the word intersections. Curve had a vulnerability this week, which had an impact on the stablecoin market. And we'll touch upon that and impact of that on, on, on DAI. But but generally, DAI, I've been following DAI from day one, actually, when they released themselves as DAO and eventually truly became decentralized. But actually, there's no CEO anymore. Christian was a CEO. He stepped down and led the protocol, community manage the protocol itself. Mm. And in that context, the community in the past has done lending to traditional banks. There was a Valley Forge Bank in Pennsylvania that was lend money. Mm. The community decided to invest its profits, which is the commission that it makes, the difference between its lending rate and, and its borrowing rate. Mm-hmm. Invest into treasury bills. Get that. Mm-hmm. And they have made a significant chunk in this high interest rate market. So the community decides where do you want to spend the money. And that is, again, an intersection between the real world, which is treasury bills and, and other instruments, in, you know, including fiat. But let's go back to history. DAI, which is a currency, it's created, it's a stable coin that's created when Ether holder put their ETH deposits into a MakerDAO, which is a decentralized autonomous organization protocol allowing them to create a stable coin and using ETH as collateral. Simple, right? I'm giving collateral, I'm borrowing mm-hmm. against it. The only difference is that it's over-collateralized, which means yes. you have to put in $150 worth of ETH to borrow $100. And the thinking is that I don't want to part with my ETH and I would like to borrow against that ETH, preserving the value of my asset and mm-hmm. using that money, which is DAI stable coin, to invest or to further go downstream in various stablecoin markets like Curve, like Yearn Finance or Compound or Uniswap Mm -hmm. and deal with that market and take advantage of my efficient use of capital in both sides. The the capital that's been in collateralized debt position, which is what MakerDAO is. Mm -hmm. And in the event market were to go down, so let's say ETH is down from 150, you know, it goes down a few percentage points. The moment it drops below 150%, there's an automatic re- your liquidation event that happens and the remaining 40x percent of you know 40 you know percent of what's li- remaining is given back to you so you're not exactly so the bank itself is not over leveraged it doesn't work on f- fractional reserve that our existing banking system works on so chances of bank runs are low only because it's it's is flushed with excess capital because of the collateralized disposition model also the fact that it's it's only lending from the 100% not the 150% that it's that it's allowing people to 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 you know to lend so that essentially was there because there was no stable coin when dai was dai was the one of the first stable coins and as we have discussed in this podcast you have different types of stablecoin. You have centralized IOU stablecoins, the USDC, the USDC, for instance. Then you have algorithmic stablecoins, which practically have all failed. And then you have the CDP, which is collateralized debt position type stablecoins, where I'm deriving value at the dollar level, equivalent to a dollar, based on this over-collateralized asset that I have in the system. And that growth of stablecoin was due to the four launch liquidity mining programs like Compound, Yield, Curve, and Uniswap. Curve, as you know, today was, it went through a re-entrancy attack, which was a challenge, and I can discuss that in a minute. 
but that basically caused, you know, as an exchange caused an issue for Curve to be impacted both in terms of one specific pool. By the way, Curve maintains 200 plus different pools. One of the pools, which is ETH, was was impacted. And that actually had the impact on the entire protocol. It's still unfolding as to what the losses. It's predicted to be anywhere between 70 to $100 million worth. But I'll pause here. Uh, very profound, very cool. And, and I think that, like, for example, 65% of DAI's entire supply, as Masari predicts, is by the DeFi protocol yield farming. A lot is used in yield farming to find the best yield. And these protocols are tied into these various. So to me, this is the future, right? Future of what we expect a true digital interaction between these protocols to find the best yield and you know, benefit the, the entities who are involved in it. And I will say one last thing before I pause, Derek, is that it's, you know, the maker DAO's real world interactions, real world asset interaction, whether it's treasury bills or its own lending protocol, has led, led its prominence to allow its stakeholders, the, the folks who are involved in voting for the protocol, to vote on where they were want their profits to go into. And that has led to a several billion dollar up, uptick in the protocol's valuation. So it's it's all good from that perspective. And love to hear your thoughts, Derek, as you see it. Well, the first thought I get is the absolute fundamental, the base philosophy of this is that MakerDAO is an over-collateralized lending facility. And so those that are providing to it are over-collateralized. MakerDAO is not leveraged. It doesn't suffer from the same things that we see with banks and the likelihood of a bank run on it and being successful is very different to the economic dynamics of traditional banking. So to me, it appears that it's in a very powerful position to play a global role in providing not just liquidity, but, but, you know, lending processes and lending structures to enable real world assets to be financed in a, in a non-banking manner, let's say. Do you see that is is a a likely path forward for MakerDAO and its and its sort of associated competitors and and also its downstream funders? You know, I do, and I think MakerDAO is unique because I don't think any of the protocol is designed in this form or fashion. So it's it's first of a kind. It's unique from a perspective, and that's why it's 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 the liquidity of last resort. So people always flock to MakerDAO for its ability to be able to provide liquidity because even though and this is an important point that you mentioned, Derek. There are no real hard limits on MakerDAO itself, just like we talked about Bitcoin as being a sound money or Ethereum because they have a hard limit of 21 million and there is no chance for them to make a decision like central banks do in issuing more currency. While MakerDAO doesn't have those limits, it does have limits in terms of how it issues money. It's asset-backed. It's never out of thin air. Mm-hmm. It's not... You know, it's not under collateralized. It's not leveraged. It's based on some sound money principles to say, mm. I'm not going to generate more money unless I have more collateral. And based on the collateral, I'm going to generate more stable coin. And the stable coin issuance is always net negative to the asset that it, it holds. So it's completely converse of the fractional reserve, which relies upon you putting $100 and bank going and lending $3,000 to, to that yes. effect for the hundred bucks that you have or thousand dollars, for instance, this 10X usually, or now it's seven X based on Basel requirements and so on and so forth. It's converse of that, that fractional reserve takes your limited amount and expands that. 
and make or die takes whatever it is and and based on those asset it has asset backed issuance which i think is much more sound principle so i'm with you on this i think i think banking should rely on that model which enables the depositors to think twice before they borrow and lend because there's a cost to doing that and and liquidity is never neither cheap nor expensive but it's optimized you know it's interesting to see the challenge of new technologies getting it adapted by existing industry. As you know, I was in the advanced composites and aerospace industry for some period of yeah. time. And back in 1989-90, we developed a, a three-flying service advanced composite aeroplane. Now, when we tested the wing strength of that aeroplane, the Civil Aviation Authority didn't know how to rate it. And so we tested it and we broke the wing at 22 Gs we broke the wing. That's 22 times gravity the wing broke. And the Civil Aviation Authority came to it and said, we'll give you a plus 3G rating and a minus 1G rating within the old aluminium <laughs> aircraft specification, despite the fact that That's we right. were 22 Gs. And, and we used to say to people, let's explain to say, well, we've got this great new material, it's called aluminium. You can bolt it together, it does corrode, and it does fatigue, but you can fix it easily and it doesn't cost much, but it doesn't have a really long life either. But it's our yeah. new material and we think everyone should go with it. It's bizarre. That wouldn't happen any longer. If you had advanced composites, you'd never be sure. able to sell aluminium into the market. I would argue it's not dissimilar to what we see here with this banking. Could you imagine coming to some future in 10 years time and say, well, all of our banks are over collateralized. They're all at high speed, they're all global and they're all run by decentralized structures in them. But we've got this new idea. We're gonna come up with a bank that you can put $100 in and they can leverage it by seven times. And then they can lend it anywhere they want. But if something goes wrong, another bank will end up bailing them out until a point where all the banks could have a run on them and you could lose the money. That's our new banking system, what do you think? And, yeah, no, I think know. that'll be great. It'll be great for the populace. It'll be great for some money. They'll be quite comfortable in terms of, you know, working hard for our money and eventually ensuring that money also becomes store of value. Because I don't think DAI has ever lost its peg. In fact, there was a time when there was 623% growth in DAI early in 2020. This is yes. the peak of, of, of crypto. And it actually went above the peg. There was a time when DAI was dollar four only because now there's so much value in the currency itself. It's stronger currency of sorts. That's a model I think we should socialize with through BIS, the Bureau of International Settlement. <laughs> That's right. The rest of the central banking system to say, this is how banking should be done. And which means that people are more responsible with their capital. Right? No, no one's Another way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is this new, this new aluminium banking system that I'm talking about. It all like also that. operates. It, all, <laughs> it also operates within an environment that tends to lose about four to five to six percent of its value of your deposit every single year in the form of inflation. And the people yeah. who are holding your money will charge you account fees to do such. But there banking. you go. I like that. I use that. Banking. <laughs> and, and it's not until you stand in the position of the existing and look back as if it's history, can you actually see how flawed banking systems are? It's just because we think but they're the way they operate that they must be know, the way in, the future is. 
in the same ecosystem that we are stalling about at the moment, Derek, make or make or die and the entire checks and balances that are in the system. This week we had Curve. So Curve is, there was a bug that happened in the Curve protocol. They use something called Wiper, which is a programming language like Solidity is for smart contracts. And they had something called re-entrancy bug, which basically allowed people to, you know, generally what happens is when a smart contract calls an external contract, which is the two contracts talking to each other, external contract then calls back the original contract and potentially does the deposit to say, hey, I'm trusting you. You can send the money to me, or send the money and eventually, and that can happen in a loop. So essentially you can make infinite calls Generally, each call you make is checked to make sure that you have money in your bank and or you're depositing money and tokens have been deposited. But some of these bugs prevent you from making that check. So you can make n number of infinite calls. It's like you're depositing, hitting submit 10 times and it takes all 10 times of, of the money that you submit. And based mm. on that error, you can extract because now your account has a, has a higher balance you can extract. The same function can happen again. You can, you can withdraw funds. And that's what happened this this week. But what's interesting, besides the technical bugs, which you know there was a there was a meme this in, in Twitter to say or X now, which said you know how we had code is law early days of smart contracts, yes, yes. and now we feel the code is flaw, which basically it's flawed. <laughs> and if things go wrong, then things go wrong. But what's interesting in that whole model, which began to behave and mimic like our existing financial system where you have, again, imbalanced movement of money, whether it's intended or it's something like a, a quantitative easing-like models, where Curve, which is a stablecoin exchange in the center of you know, Ethereum DeFi ecosystem, there's something called MEV. So now that this money is stolen, just like what you do with dark money, you have to you know, you have to embed this into an economic system, exactly what people do when they have dark money in cash, they buy cars, they buy a house, they buy all these things because they need mm. to embed themselves into the traditional finance. And this is one way to, to clean your dark money. So people who stole Curve use something called MEV. MEV actually happened after mm. the merge. MEV, again, as you know, is maximal extractable value, or some people call it minor extractable value. And the idea behind that is that, you know, in 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 you know, in many cases, you are having this automated machines, bots of sorts, which reorder unfinalized transaction because when you submit transaction, it goes to a pool. But the miners, the people who are submitting these transactions and validating them, if you add more fees to a transaction, they'll pick up those transactions before they pick up the low cost, the cheaper yes. transaction. Yes. So people who have stolen the money wanted them to be able to move the money into different aspects of this DeFi, exactly yes. how things would work in our world, where you're yep. rushing to buy a house or buy a car or buy diamonds or whatever the store yes. value is. And record MEV earnings of like 111 million because of the stolen funds being trying to be distributed across the ecosystem, all happened within a matter of just exactly after the curve vulnerability and stolen funds they had to find a way to move money in these different yes. you know, areas. And that reminded me of our existing financial system that you have this money, you have to move it. And I think that's the only thing. I'm not a huge fan of MEV, even though MEV is a necessary evil. It's an unstoppable aspect of how the post-merge public Ethereum blockchain works, which is, you know, again, contrarian to this notion of censorship resistance, because suddenly now, if miners or people who are involved, the staking 
pools and mm-hmm. protocols that put the transactions. If they have the ability to reorder transactions, they are essentially censoring what which transaction goes before the other because they want to process yeah. the more expensive transaction before the cheaper ones. So it removes the whole egalitarian. And I actually had a Twitter chat on this, like, you know, this is not a good thing. It's not how we started this thing. And and there are economic elements to it. But to me, in this conversation, Derek, when we talk about sta- sound money and, and stable coins and DAI and, and how they are trying to make these checks and balances, I see things that happen today and that makes you wonder, are we doing the same thing that traditional finance does, except that we're doing it in a much faster in a digital fashion. And if we are, have come to that point, then what have we really achieved? Mm. It makes me wonder sometimes. But that was an interesting observation I found just today that yesterday funds, this afternoon funds were stolen and you start seeing the MEV sort mm. of go up, extraction go up, highest amount of fees ever in a single day. I think it's crazy. Well, you're able to check you... the money. You're able to watch where the money is going anyway. So that's the start. Then as it goes through MAV, then yeah. there's the challenge of continuing to follow it. And, um, yeah. and, and this is where maybe the, the transition from traditional banking systems or traditional values into this space may see an evolution of process that will see, you know, maybe traditional regulations put in place to force certain certain transactions to be seen who knows and it may well be in the future that these kind of these kind of prejudice prejudice like outcomes might occur because simply everybody's social rating is rated against this in other words you're rating yourself you're rating your transactions you're rating the group that's doing these transactions and you're deciding to downrate them so the community determines that they don't like what's getting done or they do like what's getting yeah. done. It'll be intriguing to see how that evolves, but it's, it's, it's all driven by humans and humans have both their legacy remembrances of things like I have spoken of with aluminium aeroplanes and, <laughs> and the future, which is clearly now when we all fly in a Dreamliner 787, et cetera, we just know how much better advanced right. composites are in sitting in an aeroplane, which has got far less you know, cabin pressure sitting in it has got natural humidity. It's got far bigger windows. It's way quieter. Its lifespan is way, way longer. Oh, heaven forbid. It's the new digital banking economy <laughs> versus Derek, the I, ha- I have an idea. <laughs> Game an idea. We should call, we should have two DAOs, a composite DAO and aluminum DAO. Ooh. And we should model aluminum DAO with existing financial system, which is over leveraged. It's following factor reserve and we should have composite DAO, which follows the maker DAO model. Yeah. Just to show like we have two different models on this digital ecosystem and let's see which one flourishes on the long run, which yes. has actually has a demand, which one consumers. I think that'll be an amazing experiment, Derek, that we so should true. launch these two DAOs and see the, and, and that could be a litmus test for the likes of IMF and BIS and World Bank, for instance. <laughs> I well, think. And, and, and of course, IMS and BIS and the World Banker, you know, have a, have a system there they're, they're protecting and a system that one might argue has done us reasonably well for a long period of time, as That's did right. aluminium aeroplanes, so superior to cloth and wood. And, <laughs> and a, you know, a great jump for a long, long period of time, lurched forward by World War II and, and improved on a constant basis thereafter. But I once remember a conversation that I had with Dr. Scott Stornetta, who 
as we all know, is the, the original creator of the base underlying blockchain. And, and I said to Scott Stoletta, you've got some grandchildren. How do you think you might explain to grandchildren in 25 years time what our existing banking system is and how it works? And do you think they would relate to it? And, you know, and that's, that is the aluminium question again. The existing banking system and the existing financial system works like this, breaks every 10 years, has high inflation rate, reduces the value of your asset on a constant basis, is centralized control, but it works. And by the way, so does aluminium. It works just fine. It's just not the best solution. And that's, that's what the industry has taken 20 years to not just to discover, but put into place. I think this industry is going to run on steroids like it always has. And hopefully we'll see yeah. these new banking systems come into place soon. But, but Nitin, it's quite fragile still. You know, we're still seeing attacks occur and, and, and I'm talking about regulatory attacks in this particular case. And may I read you a little note that we talked about earlier on? And that is that okay. Coinbase's chief, Brian Armstrong, says that the Security Exchange Commission asked the exchange to cease trading on every asset but Bitcoin shortly before it launched its lawsuit against the company for operating an unregistered broker exchange and clearing agency. He was speaking to the Financial Times and Armstrong claims that the SEC told him that it believed every asset other than Bitcoin is a security. Now, according to Armstrong, he said, well, we, we don't have that same conclusion because it's not our interpretation of the law. And they said, we're not going to explain it to you when asked at the SEC. You just need to delist them all other than Bitcoin. And of course, Coinbase refused to do that. And, and they said, well, let's go to court and we find it that way. But what's intriguing about that is that it shows the SEC's intention. It doesn't show them correctly interpreting the law. It shows their intention. Can we shut this down? Can we shut it down quickly? And they ultimately, of course, are now in a legal action. They've lost the S, they've lost the Ripple legal action, and it may well see them continuing to lose that in regards to the argue of what's a security token versus a, a, a commodity. Yeah. But if they hadn't had that choice, taken that choice, this is, the S, this is Coinbase, to go to court and fight them, and they have a substantial amount of money to do it and a clear, competent group of lawyers to argue the proposition, that might have seen the world of crypto assets virtually stop in the United States of America. It would have been intriguing. So you can still see that despite the fact that we can see composite airplanes coming very, very clearly, there's still this massive argument for the existing system in place. Maybe and because it's funded by the come. aluminum industry. Maybe it's funded <laughs> by the aluminum industry. <laughs> Absolutely. It's funded but by but the I'll tell you one thing though, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm not completely into the you know, I'll take a small win with XRP, and I'm. I think there are that that judgment has that has issues, both in terms of retail protection, but also in terms of you can't have the same asset class and two different rules, one for institution, the way it's sold. Yeah. If exactly. something is a security, it's a security regardless of its markets and its channels that it's sold into, and and that's a principles based approach that SEC has taken. So this one, I, I think, will go back to court at some point. I think, but but you're absolutely right. I think. What's appalling about this whole thing, as you mentioned, is it's not like it was a secret. Coinbase had an SEC approval before they listed directly with NASDAQ. They didn't go yes. through the IPO process. That's exactly They had right. intention of what business they're in. <laughs> 
And that was stated in their initial filing before they, the S1 filing before they actually went, you know, to be listed. And it's a public company. It has checks and balances. It has earnings. It's, it's doing everything that SEC expects a listed entity to do. Yes. So what's surprising to me is SEC in the, is one of the imperative SECs also job creation as a, as a big part of the whole thing to ensure that the industries flourish. And and what's what's interesting, all this stuff is if you simply were to trade in Bitcoin, then you couldn't have a sustainable business model. It's simple from, from that perspective. And, and that that stymies growth, it stymies job growth, it stymies industrial growth, innovation. And I think that's a miss. So you're, I, I was laughing when I read that this morning. I was like, this is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So, so we are seeing then this industry continue to be an industry that, that really reacts fast. It's very much Darwinism based. You've talked about curve, no doubt, you know, as you said, it's in one of their 200 lending pools, but no doubt they'll be analyzing that in great detail. They'll determine what broke down in that protocol, how to resolve the problem and how to fix it and get back to the market. And that is the positive side of when we look at each one of these attacks in the industry. The negative side, of course, is it has an impact on the industry and, and the traditionalists, the aluminium flyers, they'll be sitting back there going, I told you this material wasn't a good thing. And, and they did, by the way, they used to always say when composites broke, they suddenly broke. They just happened to break at 22 Gs, so far above that of aluminium that you would never get to it and still be vaguely alert and possibly alive in that particular case in the strength of that aeroplane. So I think that we've seen another week where we've seen fascination of this maker DAO environment continue to grow in its value, continue to grow with total locked up value now. It's, it's regrowing in that it's had a hit, of course, in the slowdown of the banking. And now there's discussion with real world assets getting involved with this funding. My hope always is that this industry becomes this provider of democratized funding and democratized fractionation of assets. It's very utopian. It's very utopian, but it, yeah. I can see it being something that could occur. What do you think? No, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. I think these are ups and downs that the industry has to face. And I think we will, you know, the industry itself will emerge. And I, I think these hacks, these vulnerabilities, the technical side of the house, the regulatory side of the house is only strengthening the industry. That we are coming out strong, you know, otherwise this industry would be laden with all kinds of 3AC, FTX, the entire contagion of incompetence. We see less of that now yes. and only because the yes. industry is maturing. I've taken that approach that if you weed out the tourists, you wait till the protocols mature and protocols become then becomes commodity that you can rely upon them protocol. And I think we haven't discussed, maybe perhaps next one, next one we should discuss cool stuff, cool things that happen in the ETH CC at Paris, which is, yes. you know, the ETH community coming together. There's ETH Denver, there's ETH Paris, there's ETH Bogota. There's, it's become a global phenomenon now. And I'll tell you some amazing innovation that has evolved that will sharpen and strengthen these protocols, which will allow us to then just focus on building application because the infrastructure becomes so resilient. But there are still some quirks that I think we as an industry need to solve. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, Nitin, another week of, of growth in the industry, I feel, and of sort of realizations of what happened over the last six months and how vulnerable the industry, I think, was 
not so much is as much. I get a sense with regulations appearing in the United Kingdom and, and, and Europe and Asia, the intent from my travel and discussions with many people when I was traveling a couple of weeks back, I really sense that there's a much more optimistic view of regulations providing a positive impact yeah. on this industry than what we kind of hyper focus on with the policing body of the SEC causing havoc in one country in the world. So I think there's a positive movement forward. I think next week we, we should discuss more of the properties and characteristics of advanced composites versus that of aluminium. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk about whatever is happening with the, the industry moving forward. Thanks very much for your time, like normal. Absolutely. Likewise, Eric, always a fun chatting and we learned two new things today and I'm going to stick with the aluminum bank and the composite bank. That's my learning for today's call. Good to see Good you. Take see care. you. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive and engaged. See you next week.